If you would stand with me, I'm going to read the text today. It starts in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, and we'll be reading through uh, chapter 10, verse 8. And just as a reminder, we stand as we read uh, the Bible just in honor of the Word. So let's read together Romans 9, starting at verse 30. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day to everybody who is a father. So thankful for you and the lives that you live leading your families and loving your children well. Um, glad to have you with us this morning. As Fudd mentioned, my name is Stephen. I'm just filling in these next few weeks as we await the arrival of their fifth child. Not sure when that's going to be, but hopefully it'll be sometime between now and next Sunday or the week after. But um, we're going to be in Romans 9, as Fudd just read from, starting in verse 30. So I want to pray for us. And then we'll jump into there. God, we, we praise you for loving us in Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus to deliver us from our rebellion against you. We confess that apart from Christ, there is, there is no hope for salvation. There's no hope for reconciliation. And uh, so we pray this morning that wherever we are, you would save sinners that are pursuing a righteousness through works. You would save sinners who are not pursuing a righteousness at all. God, that you would remind your people of the gospel and that it would overwhelm us and astound us once again. Um, That you would work in our hearts a deep love for people and that our prayer to you would be that you would save. God, I just, I pray for help. I pray that your spirit would come and move We can't change ourselves. We can't open our eyes to see Christ as precious and to see what your word is saying. And so we we beg you to come. We beg you to to move in our midst because we need you, God. For the glory of your name, we praise things in Christ's name. Amen. So, you guys know we've been going through the book of Matthew and we're not in there this morning. So what I want to do is just do a, a quick 
a quick recap, a quick introduction to bring us up to speed in Romans. So I don't know how many of you guys are Lost fans, the TV series Lost. Um, I actually have never seen an episode. But from what I know, there are six seasons, okay? So if, just to put this in perspective here, if I start watching in season four, never having looked at one episode one through th- for the first three seasons, then I jump in at uh, season four, I'm going to be completely lost. Like, I don't know who these people are how they got here, what's going on, what are their names, or anything like that. So the same idea here in Romans is in the middle of the Bible. Um, and if we just jump in in, in chapter 9, halfway through the book, we're going to be like, why is Paul talking about this? How does this fit into the grand scheme of God's story of redemption? So what I, wanna, what I want us to do is just go back to the beginning, kind of recap God's story of redemption and bring us to the book of Romans, and then we'll zoom in on chapter 9. So um, in the beginning, there was God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and only them. They existed in perfect fellowship together, and God created everything. Um, He created man in perfect harmony with himself to worship him, to have that fellowship with him. And But the thing is, you and I, mankind, we rebelled against God. We rejected him, and as a result of that, death came to man, man, all mankind, and to all creation. And so in that rebellion, in that death coming, uh, innocence was lost, our, rest, our, recon, our fellowship with God was broken, and um, we were cut off from God. But the cool thing is that God prophesied a Messiah that would come to rescue his people. He would come to restore his people back to himself that we would have fellowship with and worship of God and that he would bring righteousness to his people by his grace through faith in his Messiah. And the Messiah, he would remove our hearts of stone. He would remove the hearts that are bent towards ourselves, bent towards worshiping ourselves and bring us, give us a new heart that would love and worship God. Um, God revealed his plan to choose a people, the Israelites, the Jews, not because they were this great people, but of all the nations, God chose them by his mercy. God chose them by his grace. And throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel rebel against God. We see that they, re, they would sin against him, they reject him, go to worship false idols, and then God would discipline them out of his love. He would discipline them, and they would repent and come back to worship him and then do the whole thing over and over and over. And so we see God's anger burn We see him relent from his anger and his wrath against them because of his mercy and because of the covenant he made with them, not because of their works. And then the Messiah that was long awaited, the Messiah that was promised, the Son of God, entered into time by becoming a man, not as a ruling king, but as a baby, a humble baby and the person of Jesus Christ. And he identified himself with those he came to redeem. And he lived among his people. He grew up in front of them, and as he matured, he performed miracles. He taught what the Old Testament was really saying, that it's not about law-keeping. It's not about you working your way to God. It's about having faith and trusting in him, his life, his death, and his resurrection to receive this gift of righteousness, to be reconciled back to God. And so this, this greatly angered the Jews. They didn't like it because they were all, most as a whole, um, were all about just keeping the law especially the Pharisees, and this eventually led them to kill Christ. And though this was always the plan of God, that he would come and die for the redemption of his people, for the glory of his name. 
And so throughout the Old Testament and even in the Gospels and then the early church, a part of Acts, we see that God's, we see glimpses of God's redeeming work in the lives of Gentiles, non-Jews. And so we start to see here that um, God has a desire not to be worshipped just by one people, but by all nations. And we see him bringing salvation, making it available to everyone. But we only see glimpses of that. But then God saves a persecutor of the church, Saul, who then goes by the name of Paul. And God uses him to take this good news of redemption found in Christ to all the nations and to show that his plan, hidden ages past, was to not only redeem and reconcile Jews by grace, but the same for Gentiles as well, through faith. So that brings us to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is a letter written by Paul. It's approximately 25 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. And so um, the church in Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles. So um, if you don't know, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. The Jews thought that they were, that they were the stuff um, and that the Jews were just unclean. They were lower. They were not that great. Um, and that what you're saying that God is going to save them. So you've got Jews and Gentiles in this church. And so you can imagine maybe tension that may have been going on, um, ancestral pride. And then Paul writes to them to express his love for them and his deep desire to visit Rome. He longed to be with these people. Um, He had not been able to visit them yet, but his desire was to do so. And in that visiting, he wanted them to strengthen and encourage them and vice versa. He wanted to be strengthened and encouraged by them as well. Um, But also... He wanted to preach the gospel to them, as we see in chapter 1, verse 15. And so that, that brings us to the book of Romans. And then Paul deals with different issues in this letter. Um, he, but central to the letter is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that is the power of God to save anyone who believes and everyone who believes, and what this means for Jews and Gentiles and how all are to live in light of it. And Paul writes about God's holiness. He writes about God's, or man's sin against and rejection of God and how the penalty of that rejection is death, how deliverance from that penalty of death comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And not just deliverance from the death, but a clothing of righteousness comes through Christ as well as a gift from God and not man's efforts. And he shows that God's true people are not those descending from a, uh, an ancestral line of, or ancestry uh, of Jewish ancestry, sorry, but how this is made available to those who trust Christ and that it's based on God's choosing. And he also writes about how God uh, upholds and maintains his, his justice and righteousness in forgiving sinners and how this was always God's plan of saving people. And in chapter 9, um, Paul looks at the Jews and he says basically that not all the Jews are saved. So So what does that mean about God's promise? What does that mean about his faithfulness? And he shows that God has a remnant that he had chosen in Israel that he would save. And then um, this brings us to the end of chapter 9, which is where we pick up this morning. So hopefully that made sense to you. Um, But that brings us in and we'll drop in here at verse 30 in chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at six truths regarding God's salvation of man. And today we're only going to do three of those. So next week we'll pick up the the next three. Let me read for us, starting verse 30. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. 
but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. So uh, what we see here, after all that Paul had just covered, and he's saying, okay, so there's only a remnant of Israel being saved, and God's bringing in salvation for the Gentiles. So what are we to say then? What's our conclusion to be? It says that Gentiles, unclean people who did not pursue God, who worship false idols, Paul says they have attained it. They have attained a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, God's chosen people, the ones whom, as he says in earlier in chapter 9, he says, to the Jews belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul says, the Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. And so basically, you've got these Gentiles who are not pursuing a righteousness at all, but yet you see them attain a righteousness through faith. And you have the Jews pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness. They had everything going for them. They had the covenants of God. They were his chosen people. They had people to lead them. They had the law to point them to Christ. And yet, Paul says, they missed it. They were pursuing a law based on works. Um, They did not reach the goal of the law, which we'll see in verse 4. So with all these advantages, they could not attain this law because they could not keep it perfectly. And so he says, why? (laughs) Why did this happen? Why did they not reach this law? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so we see here, it was always God's design that man would be made righteous and reconciled to God through faith in Christ the Messiah and not works of the law. And so in this section where he talks about the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, he is quoting Isaiah 28. And so what we see here, God says, I'm going to lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And we know that this is a person because it says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this is pointing to the Messiah that would come. And basically, he's saying here that he's going to be a stone of stumbling because those who would seek to, uh, to work their way to me through, this, through works, through law-keeping, whatever, um, will stumble over this stone, will stumble over this Messiah because it's not about your works. It's not about your efforts. It's not about what you can do or how good you are. And it's a, he's a rock of offense because in Christ we see that God had to come himself to redeem us because we are so wicked, because we are evil, because we are rebellious. This just shows the depravity of ourselves, that, that we are evil within ourselves, and there's nothing we could do to make ourselves good, to make ourselves right with God. And so he's an offense to those who would not believe that, would say, no, I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm really not that bad of a person. But Jesus is a rock of offense because he strips away any righteousness that we might think we have and shows that our righteousness apart from him is like filthy rags, stained with worship for ourselves, stained with desires for us to be made great rather than making the name of God great. Thinking that we could work our way to him. And so... 
He says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Um, This isn't just a mere intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus existed or that he did all these great works, that he was a good teacher, um, that we should seek to be like him. But this is a belief in his finished work on the cross on our behalf. This is a belief that he is our only hope. And we can rest assured that those who believe in him will not be put to shame. Not be put to shame has this idea of not having the wrath of God resting on us anymore. We will not be suffering the condemnation for our sins. And so even in Isaiah, before Jesus had come, God is pointing us to the Messiah that would say, it's about faith in him. It's about your belief in him. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your works. It's about what he has done. And so we see here this tension that God chose the Jews and gave them all of these advantages, and yet most of them are not attaining this righteousness because they're seeking it by their works. And you've got these Gentiles pursuing it, not pursuing righteousness at all, but then God comes and brings them in by his mercy. And so Paul says, and starting in verse 1 of chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And we'll get into this at the end. But I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And so once again, Paul's showing that they were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. They were seeking to establish their own. They were seeking to make themselves right with God. Um, and it says here, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. And so we see that though the, the Israelites uh, were, were passionate for God and for the law, they were zealous for God, it was not based on truth or correct understanding of who God is and what he requires. Um, God gives righteousness to those who trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but the Israelites were seeking to establish their own, as if they had a righteousness within themselves that they could bring up. If I could just do this, God will be pleased with me. I can make myself righteous. But what they didn't understand is that it was always God's design to send the Messiah and righteousness would come through him. And we also see here that they were actively rebelling against God. Though they were ignorant of his righteousness, and they sought to make themselves righteous apart from God, that shows that they were actively rebelling against God and his plan and design for salvation. So despite their good intentions, they are opposed to and at direct odds with God. Which brings us to verse 4. And this says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Um, So we might be thinking, okay, so what's the point of the law? What benefit does that have for the Jews? And, And Paul says here, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So just seeing here, those who believe in Christ, those who believe and put their faith and trust in the Messiah, we no longer, they no longer have a law to keep for righteousness. It's no longer based on their efforts or their works to try to make themselves righteous. But now the law is a tool of God to continually remind them of their need for Christ, continually show sin, continually drive us back to the gospel. Um, so we have this idea, we see this uh, like, uh, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are 
weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. When the gospel of righteousness through faith in Christ is rightly understood and trusted, then the weight of law-keeping is lifted. It's no longer based on my shoulders. I no longer have to try to perform to a certain standard that I can't reach anyways in trying to get God to notice me, trying to get God to love me, trying to get God to accept me. Because Christ has come. He has kept the law perfectly on their behalf. And that's what Paul's saying. The Messiah has come. He has fulfilled the law. So it's no longer based on your performance, Jews. It's no longer based on you keeping certain laws. It's based on put your faith in Jesus. He has kept the law for you on your behalf. And for you Gentiles, your faith is based in Jesus. Keep trusting him. Keep going to him. Um, This also there's a, another idea going on here in verse 4 where Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So the end here is this idea that he is the goal, he's the culmination, he's the fulfillment, the purpose, the aim of the law. Um, one, one commentator says, that is, everything in Scripture points to Christ. The purpose of the law is to drive us to Christ, for Christ is the goal of the law. It finds its fulfillment in him. All the law we see all the, the law, the commandments of God. Do not do this, do not do this, do this, do this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that fulfilled completely in the life of Christ. And so another commentator says, The law had been given for this end, to lead us as by the hand to another righteousness. Nay, whatever the law teaches, whatever it commands, whatever it promises, has always reference to Christ as its main object. And hence, all its parts ought to be applied to him. But this cannot be done except we, being stripped of all righteousness and confounded with the knowledge of our sins, seek gratuitous righteousness from him alone. So the law was given to basically take us by the hand and say, you cannot live this out, but there is one who is coming. Here, let me show you him. Put your faith in him. And so, um, he is the goal. He is the purpose of the law. The law points to Jesus. And the Jews were focusing on the law, missing Christ. And God saying, and Paul is saying, don't miss Christ. It's not about doing these certain things. Put your faith in him. Love him. He has done it for you. So, what, the, what in the world could this have to do with us? Um, it just shows us here, first of all, that if we're seeking to attain righteousness on our own, apart from Christ, apart from God. We are dead in our sins and there's no hope. There's no hope in that. The law is a dead end if, we, if it does not point us to Jesus. The point of the law is to point us to Christ. And so if we make it all about the law, if we make it all about my effort and my work, I go to church, I try to love my family well, I try not to do these things, I try not to, to kill anybody, or I try not to steal things, like, great, that's awesome, but... That means nothing in regards to salvation. So, the first point, if it has, I forgot to say this, but salvation comes from God through faith in Christ and destroys the need for law keeping for salvation. Um, Christ came to keep the law on our behalf, and so it's no longer based on our keeping. So, it is impo- it is possible to be sincere and zealous in our beliefs but to still be sincerely and passionately and zealously uh, wrong. And so 
we must be guided by the truth of God's word and what he teaches and, his, and what he commands. And, and that is revealed in the scriptures, the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament. God has revealed his plan for salvation to us in here. And as we read in the Old Testament, as we read in Leviticus, as we read in Deuteronomy, as we read in Isaiah and Jeremiah, it's all pointing to God's plan for redemption found through Christ. And so we must know God's word. As we see here, ignorance is no excuse for rebellion against an infinitely holy and righteous God. Uh, And if we do know what he requires, if you do know that righteousness is found in Jesus alone, not by your works, then we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because what good is it if we know it, but do nothing about it? It must transform us. If we're not transformed by it, as James says, what's the point? And so we see here that righteousness comes through faith in Christ and not on our efforts, not on our works, not on law-keeping. Christ has done it. The second point is closely related to that first one, but there is some difference here. And um, I'll just go ahead and we'll go ahead and put this one up. Uh, Salvation has been brought near, made available in Christ. And the gospel says, Stop trying to live like Christ lived for salvation because by faith you have it now. And we're going to see this in verses 5 through 8. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And he's he's referencing back to Leviticus 18.5. And basically the message of law keeping, rest of righteousness through law keeping is if you keep the law perfectly, then great, you'll be righteous. You can be, you can have relationship with God. You can have fellowship with God. But if you break any part of it, you break the whole thing. It's all together. And so, um, if you just kept the whole law perfectly and broke only one part, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And we know in Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled against God. Um, except Jesus, who was tempted in every way and yet never sinned. And he is our hope. He is the one that we throw ourselves to. So you have this, this righteousness that is based on the law. If you do the commandments, you'll live. Implying if you don't, then you'll die. And then Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. We might be thinking, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Uh, going into heaven to bring Christ down, going to death to bring him up. What in the world is, what is the point of this? And this actually references back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, and it, it's rather interesting. Uh, Moses speaks of the law, and then Paul takes it and shows that it really points to the righteousness that is found in Christ. Let me read Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 for us. It says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. So we've got, we've got the, the Israelites, and God's giving these commandments to them. And they're about to enter the promised land. And God's basically, he tells them, it's not because of your righteousness or your good deeds or your good works that you're inheriting this land. It's by my grace. Uh, and so, and he gives them these commandments. And he says, if you do these things, you'll live. If you do these things, you'll die. And he says, 
It's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will, bring over, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And so Moses is saying, the commandments that God has given you, they're not too far off that you, you don't know what he's commanded you to do. He's given you these commandments plainly for you to see. They're right here. They're in your mouth. They're in your heart. I've given them to you. And then Paul takes that and, and, and shows that Moses is saying this law is doable, but yet we know that in Romans 3, we can't keep it because we've all rebelled. So Paul takes these verses and says, the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. So we're seeing here, Paul is saying, Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness in Deuteronomy 30. Christ has come. He has already descended to the earth and lived the perfect life that God requires. So we don't need to say, who's going to go and bring our righteousness down? Who's going to go and bring Christ down? He's already come. Or we don't need the righteousness based on faith doesn't say, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Neither does it say, who will bring Christ up from the grave implying that he has died. And so we see here this righteousness is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel. And so the righteousness based on faith trusts in the sufficiency of Christ's death and wrath-bearing suffering for our sin. So there's no more need for punishment and wrath for those who are trusting in him. And the righteousness based on faith trusts in the power of Jesus over death, demonstrated by his resurrection so that those trusting in him for righteousness can live in the confidence that he reigns and that he rules and death has has no reign on them. Um, And so Paul is showing that Deuteronomy 30 is doable, pointing because one day there's a Messiah coming. One day he will keep that law perfectly. One day he will keep the commandments perfectly. He will live a life of perfect worship of the Father, loving him, and loving others. And so he's pointing them, though you can't do this right now, there is one who is coming. And he's pointing us back to the righteousness found in Christ. And so we're seeing here how the law really is, how the law really does find its goal in Jesus. Because he has kept it perfectly. And so in his perfection, and in his perfect obedience, he has made salvation available to you and to me, he's made available to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so the gospel says, stop trying to live like Christ lived for salvation. You don't have to try to um, perform in a certain way so that God loves you to earn his acceptance. You don't have to keep the law perfectly because Christ has done it on your behalf. You place your faith in Christ for salvation, for your reconciliation back to God. And if you're doing that, the righteousness of faith says, you have it now. So the really cool thing about this is this morning, if you are placing your faith in Jesus, you have reconciliation with God. You have all the righteousness of Christ. All his perfect law-keeping has been credited to your account. Though you've rebelled, though you've failed, though there's nothing you could do to make God love you, Christ has come on your behalf, 
and you are completely righteous in Christ if you're, have, if you're placing your faith in him. And if you're not, it's available to you this morning. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive to earn God's favor, to get him to notice you, to get him to accept you. Christ has already done that on your behalf. Just turn from your sin, repent, confess your sin, and trust Christ. And we see in verse 8, so what does the righteousness based on faith say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And so, this righteousness based on faith is not an impossible righteousness to have, and it is not far off, because Christ has brought it close to us. He has made it available. Um, A commentator says, that this word of faith that we proclaim is the gospel. And in this gospel, we are not commanded to earn righteousness by works, but to embrace it when offered gratuitously or freely by faith. We don't work for the salvation, but we embrace it as a gift from God. So we're seeing here God's plan to come and bring us back to himself. God's plan to reconcile Jews and Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this brings us um, to our last point, which we'll get going back to chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, and then also verse 8. And Paul says, after he had just talked about the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews didn't attain a righteousness by law, and that the Gentiles attain the righteousness by faith. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so our third point in regard to God's salvation of man is to deeply love and pray for those ignorant of the salvation from God. And Paul doesn't, he doesn't just say, all right, these Jews have rejected God. All right, oh well. Their heart of heart, God isn't saving them. But he says, my, my heart deeply longs for them to be saved. And out of that, I pray for God to save them. Um, we see here, earlier in chapter 9, Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for those that are not reconciled to God, for his kinsmen, for his fellow Jews. And the, and so it speaks to the intensity of his sorrow that it's violent, that it's mighty, that it's strong. Like that's the kind of sorrow Paul has for those that do not know Christ. Um, and it's really cool to see God's transformation of Paul. You know, as we mentioned in the introduction, Paul, Saul, or Paul was Saul who was a persecutor of the church. He was just like these Jews who were seeking to attain of righteousness by their own. And we see in Philippians 3, he lists all his pedigree basically saying, I, if it's based on works, I have it. And yet, God showed me. I was, I was persecuting those who were preaching the gospel. I was, um, I was hating those. I was killing those who were preaching the gospel. And that's how zealous he was because he thought he was right. He was just like these Jews. He was ignorant of the righteousness that came from God, but yet God reached in and removed his heart of stone and gave him a heart of flesh to see the beauty of the gospel and to be transformed by it and then used him in such a way to spread the gospel that Christ would be exalted and that many would be drawn to him. And so um, we see 
his transformation. And now he's loving and praying earnestly for God to save these people. He didn't become prideful thinking that, yeah, look at me, I have faith in Jesus. What could I have done? But he was humbled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was dead in his sins. He was just like the Jews, pursuing a righteousness by the law that would lead to death. And yet God reached in and pulled him out of sin, out of the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. And so his, his love, he has deep affection for them because he knows they are ignorant. They do not know the salvation that comes from God. And verse 8 says, this is the word of faith that we proclaim. This gospel of righteousness through faith in Christ. And so, um, my ch- our challenge this morning is to deeply love those who do not know Jesus. Uh, and obviously, there's times when we don't feel it. So what are we to do? We can't just make ourselves start loving people well, start longing for their salvation and so I think we see here that first, there's, there's a couple things. Um, faithfully pray to God to save them. May we be faithful to pray for God's salvation. And as, as we pray, God will work in our hearts. God will transform our hearts to love those apart from Christ. Uh, but also remember the grace of God, which you didn't deserve in your life and your unworthiness that has been given to you by his mercy and grace. And let that humble you. Just as Paul says in First Corinthians or Timothy 1 that he was the chief of all sinners and that mercy came to him so that in him the kindness and richness of God's grace might be revealed to everyone. And so where we live, whether that's in Rock Hill or in Fort Mill or York or maybe another state, where we live there are tens of thousands of people pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness. Um, we live in a culture that, that makes, makes it about us, that doesn't want to be offended by the, the gospel. Um, and there are people pursuing a law of righteousness that they think, if I do these things, if I go to church, if I don't, if I don't cuss, if I don't drink, if I don't smoke, or whatever, if I read my Bible, or if I share the gospel even, um, God will love me. He will accept me. There, there are people that are living in that. Um, but there are also people just like the Gentiles that are living in accordance to the law of themselves. They don't, they're not pursuing a righteousness at all. They're living for themselves with them on the throne of their heart. And so um, the question this morning is, what righteousness are you pursuing? One by faith or one by works? Are you pursuing a righteousness at all? Um, and if, if you're pursuing it by works, I would... I would beg you to turn away, to see the futility of your efforts and that Jesus Christ alone is your hope. He alone is sufficient for your salvation. No matter where you've been, no matter how ugly you think you are, um, no matter how dirty you are, Christ came to cleanse you. He came to keep the law perfectly on your account so that your faith in him will result in his righteousness being given to you. Um, And then, if you're already in Christ and you're saying, yes, I know this, Um, I'm so thankful for what God has done for me, 
in the gospel. I have, this, I have a righteousness because of what Jesus has done. I know it's not based on my efforts. Um, what's your response to those who don't know Christ? Do you deeply love them? Do you pray for God to save them? Um, and the thing, the thing here is, if you find in your heart that you're not praying for them, or that maybe the desire isn't there for God to save them, the gospel is strong enough to transform your heart and give you those desires. And the gospel says, God says, my, right, my love for you, my acceptance of you is not based on your love for others. It's not based on um, you praying for others to be saved. It's based on what Jesus has done. And may God grant a love and a passion out of that that would lead us to love, deeply love, and care for and pray for those ignorant of salvation from God. Um, John Piper has a quote that I, that I want to read um, coming from this text. And he says, We must feel compassion for the perishing and a longing for their conversion because our own salvation is such a precious, undeserved gift. Surely it is unthinkable that we should be drugged from the bottom of the lake, resuscitated at the cost of another's life, handed the instruments of rescue, and then just sit down and play cards on the beach while others are drowning. Is that not unthinkable in your own life? How can we feel the wonder of having been rescued freely by Christ and then not live for the rescue of others? Surely there would be something ominous and fearful in such an inconsistency. And so, like, when I read that, I'm just reminded, and I see in my own life, me sitting on the beach, playing cards, um... as if others aren't drowning, when I have the instruments of life to bring them back to life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to just kind of go through life, go through the motions, go to work, go to the grocery store, um, hang out with family, talk to your neighbors in passing, and have the same conversation over and over and over. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> How's so-and-so? How's school? Um, And not to be reminded that they're drowning or they're dead in their sin, but there is hope, there is life. And so may we not be those people sitting on the beach playing cards. May we be those people jumping into the water, dragging them up, and resuscitating them with the gospel. Uh, because the gospel is God's power for salvation. The gospel is our only hope. It's the hope for the nations. It's your hope for you this morning. Um, this morning, if, you, if you've had a rough week, or this morning, if you've had a rough morning even, and you haven't loved your wife well, you've yelled at your kids, you've, uh, you just really haven't had the desire for Christ that you want, you haven't had the love for others, let the gospel wash over you this morning and know that Jesus has come and because of his perfect life of obedience, because of his perfect worship of the Father and upholding the law perfectly, on that has been credited to your account and God now sees you clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not just cleansed, but you have clothes on. You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and let that just stir your heart this morning. Um, and kids, I would just 
beseech you to, to look to Jesus for your righteousness. Maybe your parents are pastors or maybe your parents are Christians. That means, that means nothing in regards to your salvation. Put your faith in Jesus this morning if you've not already done so. And those of you that may be here that don't know Christ, I would do the, beseech you the same way. Place your faith in Christ. It's not about your efforts this morning. It's about what he has done. Um, Christ has destroyed the need for law-keeping on your behalf for those who have faith in him. He has made salvation available. He has brought it near. So we don't have to try to live the life that he's already lived. We embrace the righteousness that he brings to us. And may that result in a deep love. May that result um, in prayers for God to save, for God to move in our city, for God to move in our families, for God to move in our workplaces, uh, for his for his glory. You know, if, if maybe this morning God has showed that you've been pursuing a righteousness through your works, uh, I just invite you to, to come talk to me or come talk to the FUD who did the, uh, the announcements or the welcome this morning or Jack in the back as well. We would love the opportunity to talk with you or someone you came with to, uh, to just to share the hope and life that are found in Christ. Um, or maybe you just want to pray with somebody. Uh, we'd love to do that with you as well. So let me pray for us, and we'll respond in the worship through song. We'll respond in, to this gospel that God has brought to us in Christ. Um, so let me pray. God, we, we thank you for, for sending Christ to destroy works for salvation. Because uh, if Christ had not come, we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be trying to work our way to you. But it would be a futile process because our hearts need to be transformed. And so we praise you for what Christ has done. We praise you for his power to give us new hearts that would love you, that would want to obey you out of the salvation you've brought to us in Christ. So I pray that we would respond, God, that we'd be humbled by that and respond in, in just, just an overwhelming peace, an overwhelming worship of who you are. God, would you work in us? Would you bring salvation this morning? Would you use us as your people to spread this gospel? Give us, give us the desires to, uh, to love people Give us the desires for people to be saved and may we pray for them to be saved, God. Even if it takes years, I pray that you would intervene you would remove hearts of stone and that you would give hearts of flesh to trust Christ, to love Christ, um, to worship you. And so we, uh, we praise you and thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus and that's our, our only hope this morning. And pray that you would do your work by your spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.